Welcome to the Love and Marriage Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals and forums that offer insights on dating and marriage. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. I'm grateful to be with you here this morning. When we were singing, We Thank Thee, O God, for a Prophet, I was singing, We Thank Thee, O God, for such a marvelous group of youth. I have a great confidence and faith in the youth of Zion. We used to sing more often than we do now, Hope of Israel, and you are the hope of Israel, and I sustain you and love you, and I have faith in you. I was here a year ago and discussed with some of you some important matters, and uh, the way in which great numbers of you accepted the suggestions have filled my heart with gratitude and built my confidence further that the youth of Zion, most of them, need only to know what is right, and they will do that right. And I have that confidence in you. In 1936, a survey was made of three of our temple districts. There were approximately 1,500 marriages in those areas, involving some 3,000 people, most of whom were members of the Church. Of that, two, of that 1,500 couples, 3,000 people, nearly 1,000 of those couples married out of the temple. Two-thirds of them married out of the temple. That involved approximately 2,000 of the 3,000 people. Now, also in that group were 256 men and women who married out of the church as well as out of the temple. There has been, I am sure, in those 15 intervening years much unhappiness many disturbed lives, many children whose lives have been frustrated, who are growing up without a religious concept of the truth. There have been many broken homes. In that group studied, there were 204 of the couples involving 408 people who were divorced in the 15 years that were studied. Now, a few of those people perhaps have learned their lesson and have married back into the church and through the temple. Many of them have not learned their lesson. Many have remarried out of the church and have lost their way. In fact, there are of those 3,000 people, 2,000 of them who have lost their way, whose eyes are covered with uh, cataracts, who are in the fog and mists, who are not seeing clearly and who are lost in the labyrinths and who may never find themselves. The great majority of them have not yet in 15 years found themselves. They're still wandering and groping. Now, nearly all of you will marry. Ninety percent of all the people in the United States marry. But I think in the Latter-day Saint group, very near 100% of us marry, 
And so it's about the most important thing we can discuss, isn't it? I should like to confine my remarks to the subject, whom shall I marry? For within that question and the answer to it lies everything. If you marry the proper whom, you are sure to marry in the proper place, and you have infinitely better chance of uh, eternal happiness in time and in eternity. A study was made of our own groups, these three same temple districts where we were able to get these people, of 1,496 couples, the same group. We found that there was one divorce out of 16 marriages, those who were temple sealed. There was one divorce in every five and seven-tenths marriages, those who were not temple sealed, those who were married by civil authorities or by the bishops or the stake presidents. That's about two and a half times as good a chance, leaving out the spiritual end of it entirely, that is, the exaltation feature, you have about two and a half times as good a chance to continue with your mate in happiness and joy and go on into exaltation if you are married in the temple. Not that the ordinance makes all that difference, but the preparation for the ordinance, the righteousness that prevails in your life in preparation for it, that makes much of the difference. Now, since life is eternal, and who would deny that, marriage must also be eternal, for it is the most important thing that can happen to a life. And for anyone to feel that uh, there will be just uh, no sex, no family, no partnerships in the eternity, they just haven't caught a vision, they're blind. Neither is man without the woman, neither the woman without the man, in the Lord, in the Lord. If they're going to be in the Lord, in his program, in his exaltation, in his kingdom, there will be a man and a woman. There will never be a man alone, nor a woman alone. I know that whatever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it nor anything taken from it, we find in Ecclesiastes. It is not good for man to be alone, was one of the first pronouncements. So the gods went down to organize man in their own image, in the image of gods, to form they him, male and female, to form they them. It takes the man and the woman to make man, for man is not without the woman nor the reverse. The President Joseph F. Smith I draw on because he has d given much thought and time to the matter of celestial marriage. I would rather take one of my children to the grave, he says, than I would see him turn away from the gospel. I'd rather follow their bodies to the cemetery and see them buried in innocence than I would see them corrupted in the ways of the world. I wish all Latter-day Saints could catch that concept, feel that deeply the importance of the gospel of Christ. President John Taylor, one of our prophets, said, celestial marriage is one of the greatest blessings that ever was conferred upon the human family. It is an eternal law which has always existed in other worlds as well as in this world. And Brigham Young said, I would say as no man can be perfect without the woman, so no woman can be perfect without a man to lead her. If he wishes to be saved, he cannot be saved without a woman by his side. It's that important, that important. President Lorenzo Snow gives us a picture of it. 
When two Latter-day Saints are united in marriage, in celestial marriage, promises are made to them concerning their offspring that reach from eternity to eternity. A man and woman in the other life, think of it, what else could one wish? Together, having celestial bodies, free from sickness and disease, glorified and beautified beyond description, standing in the midst of their posterity, governing them and controlling them, administering life, exaltation, and glory, worlds without ends. Can you conceive of it? Can you begin to conceive of it? That is available only to Latter-day Saints, only to those who accept the gospel, only to those who have their endowments, only to those who have been through the holy temple of God and been sealed for eternity and then continued righteously throughout their lives. This is no man's interpretation. This is the program of our Heavenly Father. It isn't child's play. And because we do not understand it is an indication that we need to get close to our Heavenly Father so we can understand it. Christ says in unmistakable terms in the 131st section, in the celestial glory there are three heavens or degrees, and in order to obtain the highest, a man must enter into this order of the priesthood, meaning the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. And if he does not, he cannot obtain it. He may enter into the other, but that is the end of his kingdom. He cannot have an increase. He cannot have an increase. That's worlds without ends. After he's been assigned to his exaltation, to his place in the kingdom of God, either in the celestial, the terrestrial, or the telestial, he will never change from those kingdoms. That's eternal. That's why you must make your decisions now. That's why in your growing maturity, in this holy institution of God, you are given the privilege of having these things explained to you in your classes. You have the scriptures. You have the brethren explain them to you. You have your state conferences. You have all the means whereby you may, that you may need to learn these fundamental and basic truths. They cannot be gainsaid. Nobody's opinion will change them. They are right. They are true. The Lord says further in the 132nd section, no one can reject this covenant and be permitted to enter into my glory. No one, it doesn't matter how righteous they might have been, how intelligent they may be, how well trained they are, no one will enter into this glory this unless they enter into the covenant. And as pertaining to the new and everlasting covenant, it was instituted for the fullness of my glory. And he that receiveth the fullness thereof must and shall abide the law, or he shall be damned, saith the Lord of hosts. All covenants, contracts, obligations, oaths, and vows that are not made and entered into of him who is anointed, both for time and for all eternity, are of no efficacy, virtue, or force in and after the resurrection from the dead. It's too late then. Now's the time. In the 1950s, when you're making your decisions of marriage, you must not make a mistake. Don't let your feelings of the moment bring disaster to you for the eternities. For all contracts that are not made unto the end, this end have an end when men are dead. Now time marriages are definitely ended. 
I've heard people say, well, but my husband was a good man. I know we'll be husband and wife in eternity. They are wrong. It is, there is no chance, for God has spoken. He has given them the program. Now, if they've never heard the gospel, that's something else. They can hear it in the spirit world, and the work can be done for them on the earth, and they can be united. But for us who sit in this building, who have heard the word of the Lord, who have the scriptures, who have had the many witnesses and the many testimonies, tomorrow is too late. We may be angels if we are good enough, righteous enough. Even unmarried, we may get into the celestial kingdom, but we will be ministering angels. Which angels are ministering servants to minister for those who are worthy of a far more and an exceeding and an eternal weight of glory? For these angels did not abide my law. You see, it isn't a matter of goodness holy. That's one of the two important things. But goodness is not sufficient. There has to be the goodness plus the ordinances. They shall remain separately and singly, no companions, no wife, no husband, no children, without exaltation in their saved condition to all eternity. And from henceforth are not gods, but are angels of God. Except ye abide my law, the Christ says, ye cannot attain this glory. That is absolute. That cannot be moved nor interpreted. That is definite and positive. One of the brethren said, I believe it was Brigham Young, that if young men knew, understood, realized, they would go as far as from here to England to be married right. And that if young women knew the importance of proper marriage, they would never marry until they could marry right if they became as old as Sarah who begat or who had Isaac in her old age. I would like to say that you would go around the world time and time again if you knew, if you realized no distance, no funds, no situation would ever keep you from the holy temple of the Lord. Now we marry those whom we associate with. As a survey was made in Philadelphia of 5,000 marriages in a given area, well, in the city, and of those, 31% of them married within four blocks of each other, and uh, 40—I think it was 46%—married within 20 blocks of each other. You marry the people you go to school with the ones you go to church with. You marry the ones that you socialize with, that you train with, that you go are, are with. And therefore, this warning comes to you with great importance. Any Latter-day Saint is taking desperate chances to ever date a man or woman out of the church. Desperate chances. The mixed marriages have always been forbidden. God said to Abraham, you go and marry your near relative rather than to marry among the Gentiles. He said through my Abraham to Isaac, Isaac went with a servant of Abraham's to his own kinsfolks to marry his cousin, Rebekah, the lovely Rebekah. 
Jacob also went to marry his relatives, his distant relatives, rather than to marry among those who did not believe. And Israel was commanded, Neither shalt thou marry among them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, and they may serve other gods. A survey was made and reported in the Woman's Home Companion a few months ago, proving that, un or that mixed marriages were wrong for any group of people. They brought unhappiness, divorce in larger numbers, even among Catholics or Protestants or any other group. Let me quote a paragraph from, The Catholic Church forbids marriages between baptized persons, one of whom is a Catholic, and the other a member of a schismatical or heretical sect. And if there is added to this the danger of their falling away and the perversion of the children, such a marriage is forbidden also by divine law. Now the results of this particular survey, which was made uh, with uh, 743 mixed marriages in 22 different churches, and this had nothing to do with our group, the result was that the chances of divorce are two and a half times greater where there's a mixed marriage, a Catholic and a Protestant, two and a half times, you wouldn't want to take that chance, would you? Even if there were no spiritual element in this. These studies reveal that the adjustment of religious tensions in interfaith marriages usually resulted in one or the other or both of the parents giving up their religious practices altogether to keep harmony in the home. The religious element in your family life is the most deep-seated of anything, perhaps, after marriage has taken place. And that the young person doesn't always realize because they have been selfish. They are trying to satisfy themselves rather than to satisfy a program, the whole program. They have forgotten that they're going to have children someday, and children are frustrated in broken homes. They are frustrated in homes where there is no religious training and where the religious thoughts are in conflict between the parents. This, it was found in, this, in a survey by the YMCA that both, when both parents were Catholics, 92% of their sons were practicing Catholics. Where both of the parties to the marriages were Protestants, 68% of the sons were practicing Protestants. But when a Catholic and a Protestant married, only 34% were practicing in either faith. They lost 68% of their people to religious activity when they intermarried and had these terrific conflicts of religious thought within their own homes and in their own lives. Frequently, young people of your age think, oh, that doesn't matter. We'll get along. We'll adjust. Uh, we'll each give a little bit. Uh, he can... Uh, he let me do as I please, or I'll let him do as he please. We'll both worship the way we want to. It doesn't work. It is so seldom that it works and works well that it must be disregarded entirely. Approximately half of the church marriage members are active or partially active. That is the mixed marriages. No, the church marriages. And half of that number of the mixed marriages continue active. In other words, half of those who marry out of the church lose their activity. Twice as many of them are inactive in their faith as those 
even who married out of the temple, but married within the church. That's an important thing. 29% of the church marriage parties were inactive, whereas 46% plus of the mixed marriage people were inactive. Now, our mixed marriages brought an inactivity of 46% in this survey, whereas the Catholic Protestant program brought a 66% inactive program. So even though we are better, we lose many good men and women because of these things. President Joseph F. Smith said, we say to our young people, get married and marry a right. Marry in the faith and let the ceremony be performed in the place God has appointed. But do not marry those out of the church. Remain single if you must, and that isn't a necessity either, as such unions almost invariably, he says, lead to unhappiness and quarrels and often finally to separation. Besides, they are not pleasing in the sight of heaven. The believer and the unbeliever should not be yoked together, for sooner or later, in time or in eternity, they must be divided again. Paul said, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light and darkness? It isn't a matter of goodness. It isn't a matter of beauty. It isn't a matter of culture. It isn't a matter of training. It's a matter of common belief in a faith that will take you to exaltation. This isn't any prejudice. There's no prejudice mixed with this. It's a matter of following a certain program, you reach a certain goal. If you fail in your following that program, you fail in the goal. You start in your college work, four years of college work. If you never attend your classes, if you never register, if you never do the things that are required by the college, you will never receive your degree. Never. But the woman says, but my husband is a good man. He was honorable. He's much better than most of the members of the church. I'm not, I have no brief for those members of the church who are not righteous. But the man who isn't a member of the church can never receive celestial kingdom until he has a, complied with the celestial law. Except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ said that. And it has to be done by this church because in this church only is the priesthood of God which has the authority to perform these ordinances. Now, I realize most of you are Latter-day Saints. But this record of two-thirds of our boys and girls in three temple districts marrying out of the temple and hundreds of them marrying out of the church in one year is the reason why we should con consider these things. This man says, my, but my wife is a lovely mother. She's a wonderful woman. She's sweet. She's clean. She's honorable. She's lovely. All is true. But that sweet wife will never reach celestial kingdom, ever, till she lives celestial laws. And they will never be exalted, either of them, until they are married for time and eternity in the holy temple and then continue on with their faithfulness. You remember the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection, came to Jesus and tried to trap him and said, Moses said that a man who's, who died uh, should have his wife married by other men. That is, her, the brothers should marry his widow. Now here's a woman who married a man and he died. She married his brother. She married the seventh man. All seven died and finally she died. Now whose will she be in the resurrection? Quite a problem, wasn't it? 
wasn't for Jesus Christ. It isn't for you when you understand the gospel. He just said, ye do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. She won't belong to anybody in the spirit world. She wasn't married to anybody for eternity. She was married for time. She was married for those two or three years maybe that she lived with the one. She couldn't have lived with them, any of them, very long. That was the time she was married for, and when death parted them, that was the end. She wasn't married to anybody, therefore she could, no matter how righteous she might be, could be no more than an angel to minister to those who were worthy of a far greater blessing. Prophet Joseph F. Smith again says, I would rather go myself to the grave than to be associated with a wife outside of the bonds of the new and everlasting covenant. Now I hold it just so sacred. But some members of the church do not regard the matter. Some people feel that it does not make very much difference whether a girl marries a man in the church full of the faith of the gospel or an unbeliever. Some of our young people have married out of the church, but very few of those who have done it have failed to come to grief. I would like to see Latter-day Saints marry Latter-day Saints, Methodists marry Methodists, Catholics marry Catholics, Protestants marry Protestants. Let them keep within the pale of their own faith in church and marry and intermarry there and let the Latter-day Saints do the same thing in their church. Think of the unborn children that will bring you glory. See that they come into a Latter-day Saint home sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, into a home where there is peace and contentment, common ideals and common standards. See that they come into a home where there's family prayer, where the priesthood presides, where the Spirit of the Lord is ever-present. See that they come into the kind of a home that will never bring them frustration, inactivity, and loss of their own souls. They're in your hands. You are responsible not only for yourselves, but for your unborn children. God bless you. Keep company with the right people. Even in the church there are scrubs. Keep company with the right people. Marry in the holy order. Have a large family. Rear them in righteousness and go your way to exaltation and eternal life. God bless you, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Love and Marriage Podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on overcoming adversity. By study and by faith, come follow me the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.